Hey, I appreciate you too. James, who wrote that short five-chapter epistle that we have toward the end of our New Testaments, was primarily interested in truth lived out in life. What difference does it make? Is it just all talk, or does it make a difference? He wasn't too interested in a belief that didn't show up in life. He is the one, after all, who wrote these words. But be doers of the word and not hearers, only deceiving yourselves. And only lying... What's going on? What happened here? (laughs) That is funny. He's the one who wrote, after all, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And think about this just lines later. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, file that away in your minds, and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. And then that well-known hammer blow. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. That's James' way of saying you can talk all you want to about trusting and believing and having faith in Jesus, but I know whether you trust Jesus or not. Do you listen to what he says and do what he told you to do? That's just how trust shows up. The one you trust, you respond to Hey, you know what I've discovered about, uh, uh, you, you get to hear a lot about what's wrong with your generation. And uh, I got to level with you. There's something I love about your generation. And that is that you want genuine. You want real. I don't mind being pragmatic. You want workable. You want to know if it makes a difference or is it just talk. And I love that about you. I think this generation would identify, oddly enough, with Soren Kierkegaard, 19th century Danish philosopher who returned home from Mass one day from the Church of Our Lady in Copenhagen, and he had been completely underwhelmed by Bishop Minster's sermon that Sunday morning. May 19, 1850, the sermon had been against the evil of monasticism, against the evil of celibacy, monastery life, poverty, and silence, cutting yourselves off from the joys of life. The sermon was against that evil. I bought Soren's uh, journals for a quarter in a used bookstore years ago. Here's what he wrote on May 19, 1850, when he returned from church. Minster preached against monks and hermits. I'm just going to quote him. Good God, to want to play that tune. He didn't attack a single one of the forms of evil prevalent in our day. No, he preached against monasteries. Now, that's Kierkegaard's way of going, the sermon was against monasticism. Yeah, there's a temptation. (laughs) That'd be like me having to endure a 30-minute lecture on hair care. Teach me something real, useful. Does it make a difference? And James' letter 
is a brutally practical book. It offers advice on everything from helping the neglected to watching our mouths to working through illnesses and tough times to prayer. In fact, James begins and ends his letter lifting prayer. And here we are today, it's still true, God answers prayer. I want to spend time with God. I want to spend time with God, quite frankly, because I need wisdom about how to navigate life. I need to spend time with God quite frankly, because God is. And he wants relationship with me. Prayer makes a difference when I'm facing the difficulties of life. Sometimes I don't know how to face what's in front of me, and I need help. I suspect you do too. Listen how James begins his book, Verse 2 of chapter 1, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect. NIV has mature. Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask God who generously gives to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. James says when you face difficulties of life, here's what you need to do. You need to ask for wisdom about how to navigate that life. Now, he didn't have to say when you face the difficulties of life. He could have just said when you face life. That is life. He wasn't describing anything over the top by way of suffering there. He's just talking about difficulties and hardships and things you encounter. And here's what he says. Don't expect God to create a greenhouse for you. Don't expect God to be a helicopter parent who comes in and tries to remove all difficulties for your life. You got a problem with the teacher, it's the teacher's fault. You got a problem with your coach, it's the coach's fault. I'll be there right for you. I'll remove all the difficulties. I'll bulldoze all the hills out of your way. I will make a way before you that you might not ever have a difficulty in life. You know, what, uh, you, you know what those kind of helicopter parents do? They create 40-year-old children living in parents' basements. They don't know how to live life. And James says God doesn't treat us that way because he's a good, caring father who allows us to face difficulties. And by the way, he says when you do... He is more than willing. In fact, don't doubt it a bit. He wants to give wisdom. Wisdom was an important Jewish concept under the Old Covenant. It had to do with knowing how to navigate life. James says you ask for wisdom. Have you ever noticed? uh, Sure you have because sometimes you've been annoyed by it. But those who know, those who have been there, those who have uh, had the experience... Sometimes they're almost overzealous to share what they know, right? And they want to give advice. We, we want to help you out. We want to give advice, and it's not always well-timed advice, but we old uh, codgers, we just like to give advice. Maybe you saw this news article from last September, Salt Lake City, Utah. <laughs> this is a breakfast club. I meet with one of these clubs every Saturday morning in Seneca, Missouri. 
There's a bunch of retired coaches and Griff. <laughs> Who sit around a breakfast table, tell the same jokes week after week in the same order, prompted by the same individual to our left, and solve the world's problems. We talk about issues, we solve the world's problems. Well, this group, this breakfast club decided every week we talk about our problems here, we solve all the issues. Let's just, at the, at the farmer's market this weekend, let's set up a tent. And, let's, and that's what they did. They advertised old coots giving advice. And I love that byline. Uh, it's probably not any good, but it's free. And they did this as a joke. Except people started lining up eventually near 40 people, asking things like this, where do I need to go to find someone to love? This is my favorite. Why does my cat pee on everything in my house? <laughs> Have I put in enough time at work to request a one-week vacation? Now, that's old Coots playing a joke, but people were interested in how to navigate life. Listen closely to the way I phrase this. Can you imagine a caring father not wanting to give his wisdom for living to his child? Can you imagine a caring mother not wanting to help her child navigate life. We love to do that. We long to do that. It's what it means to be a good, loving parent. You know what? There are a few requests I love for my children or grandchildren uh, more than this. Dad, here's what's going on. Did that ever happen to you? What'd you do? Oh, I love those conversations. Believe it or not, my, my children are... Uh, my children are 38 and 36 now. Believe it or not, I don't call them in the evenings and ask if they're in bed yet at 10, 10 p.m. Hey, Bethany, just call me. It'd be best for you to go to bed at 10 o'clock. <laughs> I don't have to do that. You know why? Because they've grown up to be pretty mature people who know how to conduct their own lives. But I love those moments when they're facing something they haven't faced before and they say, Dad, I want to help. I want to tell them. I want to talk to them about it. I love doing that for my grandchildren now. My grandson, this is the self-aggrandizing moment you expected. <laughs> uh, those are my grandchildren. We take a jammy picture every Christmas Eve. By the way, the two junior hires are less thrilled about that each year. <laughs> the blonde boy, that's my grandson, Hunter. Uh, he... Uh, He's, a, he's, 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 he's quite a fine young man as a junior higher. His, his earliest elementary years were a bit of a struggle. He was the typical boy that you would have to say this a lot to. Hunter, are you listening to me? Hunter, did you hear what I said? Now, you want to talk about breaking a grandpa's heart. It was at about four to five years of age we discovered, as a matter of fact, he wasn't hearing what we said. And you don't see them there, but he's wearing hearing aids. But you can imagine what his early days in school were like as he was up at the wrong times and down at the wrong times, speaking out at the wrong times, uh, just all, all over the place. And I, I took him home one day just to spend some time with him when he was a young elementary uh, student. We pulled in my driveway. Usually I had to warn him, please wait until the car stopped before you run in to see Grandma. 
But this time, I pulled up in the driveway, I shut my truck off, I opened my door, and I noticed he was just sitting there. I said, Hunter, let's go in. He said, Papa, by the way, I don't even know what this term means. He said, Papa, when you were in school, did you ever get dojoed down? I don't know what dojoing is, but near as I can tell, it's some kind of chart, and if you do bad, they move your name down. If you do good, they, they award you, and it has to do with incentives and parties and things like that that you get through the school year. But he said, Papa, did you ever get dojoed down in school? I said, well, well, you can imagine what I did first. I shut my door back. We're going to sit here as long as this takes. It was hurting his heart. I said, Hunter, they didn't have dojos when Papa was in school. I don't know even know what a dojo is. <laughs> but I said, I can tell you this. They did have a thing called the principal's office and a quiet chair. And your Papa got in trouble a lot. You did? I said, yeah, I did. What did you do? And we had a little papa grandson, heart to heart. And then he bounded out of the car and went in to hug Meemaw. Can you imagine a caring father? James says, you're going to face difficulties in life. It's not God's way to remove them, but he does eagerly, generously, without reproach. He'll never even ask why. He generously gives that we might know how to live life. His wisdom for life. Moses told the Israelites before they went into the promised land, you shall walk in the way the Lord your God's commanded you that you may live and that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land that you possess. God's desire for us is life. Proverbs 4, keep hold of instruction. Do not let go, guard her. She is your life. Jesus said about his teaching, everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, I will show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid foundation on the rock. And when a flood came, notice the flood didn't avoid him. The flood came. The stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. Folks, I need to spend time with God. I'm going to tell you why. Because I need to know how to navigate life. And that's his desire is to help me do that. Here's another reason James says we ought to spend time with God. Because sometimes I forget that God is, that he's there. Verse 13 of chapter 5. Is anyone among you suffering? Listen to all the events of life. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. I'm going to stop right there. If you don't understand why in the midst of serious illness you might need some confession time with some brothers and sisters in Christ, it may be because you've never been in really serious illness because one of our natural reactions is to wonder, I wonder what I've done wrong. Now, we don't like that, but it's hard to resist. I wonder, and so for complete healing, James says, confess your faults to one another, pray for one another that you may be healed. And here's what he says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. You know what that means? Elijah was human, just like everybody within the sound of my hearing today. That's, that's what he had going for him. He was human. 
And he prayed fervently that it might not pray, that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. Now, Elijah had demonstrated to evil Ahab and the nation of Israel that he, that he was prophet of the living God. And he prayed for no rain, and the rain stopped, and three and a half years later, it's time for the rain to return. But God wants to make one point before he brings back the rain. And he says to Elijah, this is Griff's message version. He says to Elijah, we're going to have a battle of the gods on Mount Carmel, get the Baal prophets together, and you're going to represent me. And Elijah goes at the instigation of God. Now look at 1 Kings 18, verse 21. Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions, as if you're just staggering to one and then the other? If Yahweh is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. They knew they were guilty. Verse 24, here's his challenge. To the Baalites, you call upon the name of your God, I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And pray they did. They took the bull that was given them, verse 26. They prepared it, called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon. All morning long they prayed. Saying, O Baal, answer us. Don't miss this. But there was no voice and no one answered. And they limped around the altar they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, he could have been a late-night TV uh, host. At noon, Elijah mocked him, saying, cry aloud, for he's a god. Either he's musing, or he is relieving himself, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. And they cried, don't think they weren't sincere. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. And here he repeats his last statement. But there was no voice, no one answered, and no one paid attention. The Baalites got no answer for precisely the same reason. If I asked my little granddaughter Hannah, five years old, to hand me that doll, I might get that doll handed to me. If I say to the doll, would you hand me my granddaughter, Hannah? I'll wait there a long time. Baal was a rock. Asherah was a wooden pole. No one answered. And now it's Elijah's turn, verse 32. And with stones he built an altar in the name of Yahweh. And here's a simple prayer. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I've done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God. Verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, Yahweh, he is God. Yahweh, he is God. God is. Why do I want to go to him in prayer? I want to go to him in prayer because he is. He is God. I am man. He's God. 
fire from heaven. Aren't you drawn to those obvious answers from prayer? I'm talking about I like the big ones. I like it when you pray and then you open your eyes and you go, now that's what I'm talking about. (laughs) Fire from heaven. Maybe I'm drawn to them because my prayer life, and probably most people would admit this to be the case, my prayer life is more often uh, like a prayer. I remember I prayed the first time I was to speak in an elementary week of camp. I'm talking about the little guys. Now, uh, every audience, anybody knows me how I'm wired, knows every audience makes me a little bit nervous. Elementary kids scare the boots off of me. And I prayed, I prepared, I prayed. I just had to do this one sermon, show up this one night, preach this one sermon, and I prayed, God, please don't let this be a waste of time for these little ones. Please give me something good to say. And would you please just give me a sign? Would you, when, when I'm done, would you just let me know that I've been effective? Maybe just one child come down in front where we can help him with something. And I preached my heart out, and we went into that invitation time. And I'll never forget it. As I looked up, down the aisle came an eight-year-old little career center by the name of Timmy. He started down the aisle. And I thought, oh, God, you're so good. You're so good. That's all I asked for. I leaned down, and I said, they're all still singing. I said, Timmy, what's on your heart, brother? He said, Griff, (laughs) I've lost my comb, and if I don't find it, my mama's going to kill me. Would you announce I've lost my comb? (laughs) I need to be more specific in my praying. But then there was May 6th of this year when I reported early to Cox Health South in Springfield, Missouri. Oh, I I wish you all knew my personality well. I'm wired tight. I know worry is a sin. Please don't tell me that. That just really makes me feel bad every time somebody reminds me of that. I know that. But you talk about anxiety, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm ridden with it most of the time. That's why I'm so big on peace in my class as students because I, uh, I pray a lot for that. But on May 6th, as I faced that surgeon, I've never ever felt such a peace and such a, there was no trepidation. I, I can't even believe it about myself as I say that. My wife couldn't believe it, but we both had absolute peace. Hey students, I am well aware that the hundreds were lifting up prayers and had prayed for me personally. So there was May 6th, but I want to give you a more everyday type. How about July 25 of this summer? My summer started with cancer surgery, which has life implications, and I am uh, dealing with that through the first part of the summer. And then on July 24th, my bathroom shower began leaking. I YouTubed a video that took about about two minutes to watch. I'm serious when I say this, three days later, we were, and that's about a half dozen trips to Lowe's. 
it still wasn't done. Now, I'm telling you that to tell you this, and this is where I help out my good brother, Mark Scott, who teaches preaching and self-disclosure. And so this is where, Mark, you get some material here. (laughs) Here you go, here you go, buddy. Now everybody's nervous. (laughs) An old, long-time habit crept up in my life. Now, you start with the cancer surgery, you work through some other things going on during the summer, and then I am uh, doing this, what seems like a menial task, and it is eating me alive. And I'll just tell you, it was profanity. I'll just let you use your imagination. That probably says more about you than it does me, whatever goes into your imagination. Students, I, I, I know all the biblical, I know all the stuff. We're the ones who give words definitions. I, I, okay, that's not what I need from anybody at that point. It's hurting my heart. Worse, it's hurting my wife as I look into her face. I went to bed July 24th after working on that all day long. And when Sally fell asleep, I prayed this prayer, God, I've tried. I'm not getting it done. I need something obvious, I need help. The next morning, July 25th, my devotional life is not complicated. I read the Through the Bible in a Year Bible. And that morning I read through the Old Testament and then I came to the Psalm reading. It was Psalm 19. Where God talks, where, where the psalmist David begins by lauding how God communicates his will to us. He does, the heavens declare the glory, the sky above proclaim his handiwork. Oh, yeah, that's good stuff. But then the psalmist in verse 7 gets to written, communicated revelation. When, listen to all the words David uses for God's word. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there's great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Now the thunderbolt, the fire from heaven hasn't appeared until verse 14, because here's what I read on that morning. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. My rock and my redeemer and it suddenly occurred to me it's not just my soul i'm hurting it's not just sally's face that i see hurt i my words impact my god and i i decided oh god that has to be my mantra through the day that's what i'm going to say that's what i'm going to memorize let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart and every time it welled up in me including yesterday I look to God and I say, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, oh God. That may not seem like fire from heaven to you, but I'm here to tell you today 
draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that you might find help in time of need. Call it anecdotal if you want to, but it's still true. God answers prayer.